Hey, Nikki. Hey, Selena. Hi, I'm sorry. I forgot where I was. <laughs> I think I missed my mute push button. Not bad. I just went into a deep hole of thinking. It doesn't matter. I was trying to remember a date. Oh, let, let me tell you why. Okay. I've got two things for you. Strangely, everything is circulating around a lot of number, number twos. I hear it now. Oh. I hear it now. Not that kind of number two. Just stay Thank with goodness. me, okay? Stay okay. with me. Okay. So the week that this episode airs, okay, uh-huh. it will be May 8th. And there's a couple of notable notes that I wanted to mention for you. Okay. One, I've been wanting to talk to you about this all week, but some stupid job kept getting in the way. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Uh, when we hit May 8th, we will be two, that's your first two, days past the coronation of King Charles III. This has totally slipped by me until this week. That's how busy we've been. You and me not talking about a British thing. What? I, I meant to ask you about it last weekend, but we had our Steel Magnolias, um, what's the word for it? Like spectacular. Yeah. That like in, like the, in the scramble of things, it got lost. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, all the pieces have started coming together for me. And it's because my husband got an email from Fortnum and Mason, which is a big mm-hmm. department store in London that I love. And it was all about the coronation and all the like special items that they're selling around it. So I looked at a couple of things and it was so cost prohibitive for King Charles that I was like, I wondered if maybe I hadn't heard about you, you heard from you on this because I know you're like a Kate fan and a, and a William fan. And I, you know, so it's not so weird cause these are humans. These are people. But, yeah. You know, and they have like no King relation Charles, to our life. I, yeah. I don't think you have a lot of, con- as much connect connection to him as you do like I think that's right okay I think that's right it's but just it's sort of still a, a royal yeah. event yeah it's, it's true it's like a coronation one hasn't happened in 70 something years the last one was in 1953 or something like that anyways it's been a long time I probably shouldn't have t- tossed that date out there but I just did it um I am currently considering a coronation quiche oh. have you looked into it yet Mm-mm. so this is like apparently and it's I, I feel I can't imagine what it felt like to try and remind yourself uh, like what all the tasks are, right? Because if it's been 70 plus years and there's all these things that you have to do because they're very like traditional, you got like a certain bottle that you use to pour oil on a head. You I got... know something about this. Oh, uh-huh. There is apparently, it's way back in the back of my brain, there is a person whose entire job it has been to prepare for this coronation even while Queen Elizabeth was still alive. Oh, so I see they've that. been preparing for it for like a super long time. Yeah. It becomes easier, I think, to check that box and uh-huh. all those lists if you've been preparing for 25 years. Okay, so I don't mean to be morbid, but so it's kind of like how the news outlets will have um, d- uh, death articles prepared for people. It's and this, very similar, actually. And the same thing was true of her funeral. Mm-hmm. It had all been written Planned. in stone right. years before it happened. That's like, true. You get to a point in life where you sort of know, like, I'm not going to be here forever, probably. Well, how about some major scientific public memory? Yeah, Uh, especially since a lot of people weren't alive. Oh, I have no idea what has to be done for a coronation. So um, I was listening about uh, about it uh, yesterday. Um, Fellow Southern podcast, Still Magnolias, did a whole thing on around the coronation, and I learned a lot about it from there. They had a guest on that was talking about it, but I um, good episode. Uh, What I wanted to talk about was uh, this quiche, though. But in, in the fact that apparently, like, they always have, like, a centerpiece recipe. So the last time this happened, it was Queen Elizabeth, of course. Hers was, like, some kind of curry chicken. I I don't know. It looked oh. 
Oh. I try I tried to look a little closer at it. I got confused because you know I don't cook. And I just um I they just call it coronation chicken. And I was like, that seems easier. Um but I um, I think coronation cake sounds super easy. Cake. Well, but that can't be the centerpiece of your meal. I mean it can't it can be. It can be. It 100% can it be. Totally can be. I think that a lot of people are going to be making several dishes, but this quiche has tarragon, cheddar cheese, spinach, and broad beans. Beans are new for a quiche, for Americans, I think. What kind of beans are broad beans? Uh, they're good. They're kind of like uh, fava beans. Okay. Fava beans and a nice Chianti. <laughs> oh. For any of my Hannibal Lecter fans out there. So they're a little bit more like, uh, um, what are those They're called? good. I have some in the pantry. I've only ever had them like dried and salted though, I think. Oh, okay. Um, it's like a protein snack or it whatever. It almost looks like a lima bean to me. Yeah, I can see that. Sure. So I don't think about beans being in a quiche, you know, uh-huh. um, but I'm into it. I'm figuring, you know, I'm willing to try well, anything. Um, so I don't know. I was thinking about putting it on the list of things to give a shot. Um, but I was going to tell you that apparently Charles and Camilla picked quiche because, quote, it is a good sharing dish and it can be served hot or cold. Suits a variety of dietary requirements and preference can be adapted and it is not too costly or complicated to make. Apparently, Charles also likes eggs, but is also a part-time vegan. I was like, well, that's, oh. those are opposing thoughts. Um, but Well, part-time. Part-time. <laughs> so part-time, he's just eating eggs. You know, it's interesting to me. Eggs are pretty divisive. And a quiche is like 90, per, 90 to 95% egg. So it's interesting that they say it suits a variety of preferences because I don't think that's true. Maybe it suits a variety of British preferences. So maybe eggs are only divisive here in the U.S. Only in the U.S. I need someone from, I don't know. I need someone from overseas to weigh in and tell us if that's true because I find eggs mm-hmm. very divisive. Mm-hmm. I find like... I have no problem with that. They're such a staple food. Like, who doesn't like them? But I can think of, like... my favorite staple foods. I can find... I can think of five people off the top of my head who don't like eggs, including my husband. Yeah. So... But he likes a quiche, usually. Um, So... Okay. Well, does he know what's in it? (laughs) Yes. So he just... He likes the cheese. Does he not like runny eggs? Is that a thing He cannot stand runny eggs, which is so funny, because that's how I grew up eating scrambled eggs, was Mm -hmm. when they're, like, slightly runny. Mm -hmm. That's my favorite. Mm -hmm. But he he fried me an egg the other day that was runny. Um, So he went... He really put himself out there for me. That's the only way for me. I mean, I will take... I eat eggs always. I'll eat it always, But I, I want... If I'm going to choose, I want like a poached egg, mm-hmm. which I can't do because I'm in the kitchen. I just problems. Um, and then uh, I like anything that's like I like over medium. I'm not going to sit here and pretend like sunny side up. That's it's like it's a little too much too for much, me. I want yeah. just a thin layer of the white to mm-hmm. cook over top. But um, we're not talking about eggs here. We're talking about British people um, who are encouraged to gather with their friends and neighbors for what they call a big lunch on Coronation Weekend. And then that quiche winds up being, again, the centerpiece of these parties. Um, I'm going to say one more thing, and I want it to be very clear. There's no pressure here. (laughs) Okay. Uh, So I'm only, I'm just going to throw it out there to give you some time to think about whether or not you would want to do something together because I don't know many other people who will join us in that endeavor. I think most people laugh at me when I mention it. Yeah. So just going to throw that out there. It's a low stakes, 
low pressure situation. It wouldn't be the first time that I've rolled out of the bed and enjoyed a royal event on my own. Because um, <laughs> I promise you, Casey won't be involved for that. He will be sleeping. It's so obnoxious to be so early in the morning. So, I understand. How rude to do something on your own time zone, you old it's really a-holes. Rude. It's really rude. When you know you have such a big international audience. Yeah. We, there is also the option to record and watch later. So, but then you have like real things going on, which actually is what makes this seem kind of ideal, minus the sheer exhaustion that is being this age. Minus that. Yeah. So okay, I have my, I'll give it some thought. I have my number two. Because that was number one. This is number two. With more twos, we have our own celebration. Two days after this airs on May 10th will be two years since we released the pilot episode of Sweet Tea and TV. Is that all? Years. <laughs> what year? Are we well, in? you heard it here first. Wow, two years. That's a milestone. Yeah. So there you go. Two, 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 two. Funny. <laughs> it's probably too not short. Too long. Two. I've never seen less excitement. Give her time, guys. Give her time. It'll pro- it'll process. It'll land. She hasn't me. had all the time I've had to look at this. I've been confused just in general about time, but I've been thinking recently, for some reason, I keep feeling like we started in 2020. So. Because we were planning then, maybe. Oh, maybe that's what it is. Yeah. I think later in the year, we started, we started more seriously talking about it. So I think that is part of the confusion. Well, that's exciting. Two years. (laughs) I think you'd rather hear my authentic reaction than me faking it. I'm pro- I think I'm in processing mode. Yeah. I, I, w- I wasn't prepared for you to lay that information down on me. I'm, well, you know, sometimes I like to make it a little organic. <laughs> I appreciate that about you, Selena. And here it this is. is my organic. I think that's, that's exciting. That's, I mean, it's kind of like the reaction to anything, though. It's okay. As I was saying it, I was like, God, I hope I'm right on this. How's that? <laughs> um, so let me say this. Speaking of anniversaries, we have one more. We have an anniversary that technically takes place in this episode. Just hold on. Just wait for it. Wait for it. Okay. The anniversary of Julia mooning everyone at the fashion show (laughs) is really like something that gets mentioned in this episode. And with that in mind, is it time, Nikki Mays, to take your clothes off over there (laughs) and then also to talk about the fur flies? I thought you were going to use the part time vegan Charles connection to Love connect it. to this episode. I went uh, with something more challenging, uh, <laughs> loosely, more loosely connected. Someone who is not even a part time vegan is Suzanne. That's right. Who is this episode's uh, main, almost main character, main storyline. So this is the fur flies. Suzanne is assaulted by animal rights activists while she's modeling a fur during a fashion show. And Charlene is forced to look for a new nanny. (laughs) Sorry. I've read this before. That's the first time I've read it where I'm like, that should have just been its own sentence. Maybe. (laughs) You just gonna have to take it out with IMDb. (laughs) Charlene is forced to look for a new nanny. Uh, Air date, January 15th, 1990. We're calling this one It's Hot, Bulky, and Starting to Smell, which is what you're acknowledging right now as I'm trying to get my sweatshirt off without hitting the mic just, too many times. Why don't you just, yeah, we're going to, here, Sorry, guys. here, guys, it's just me and you, uh, uh, everyone, just me and you as uh, Nikki unrobes, disrobes. She was now. wearing her fur jacket and oh. she wanted to take it off because it felt very inappropriate to wear a full mink jacket while we're talking about how 
you know, an episode about fur. That would have been so funny if I really did wear a mink jacket. <laughs> oh, thanks, guys. Sorry, I was dying. All right. So uh, this one was written by Pam Norris and directed by Hal Holbrook. That's been a while. I didn't think about that until I saw it again this morning. What's that? Pam Since Norris? directed. Oh, Hal. Okay. Uh, can I ask you a question before we start? Probably. Generally speaking, does this storyline about fur coats feel like inherently 90s? Absolutely. It is one of my 90s reactions, but we can have the conversation now if you want. Okay. Well, there's probably not that much to say, except like, I feel like, and maybe it's this, that fur has just become this almost like passe thing. You hear it every now and then when one like random misguided celebrity decides to wear it out. (laughs) And I say misguided only because Mm -hmm. they always get backlash. So I'm not really sure what they're trying to do by wearing it. Other than, I mean, of course, they may just truly enjoy it. But if they care at all about their public perception and persona, maybe they just shouldn't wear it. What if I told you that um, I was like trying to think like you? What like, if I told you? <laughs> that feels like a song. <laughs> uh, you want to write some songs? Let's do it. Um, let's do. Let's add something to the page, <laughs> shall we? Um, so I was. Uh, curious as we sometimes get like why are we covering this it feels like there's some current events that are going on it's making lbt think of this this is something that comes up often i mean but i think you're really the one who uh pushed me to think more like that as we're looking through the show and so this time i don't mean in like an aggressive way but like it just made <laughs> me shoving like, you into like your thinking computer. in a new way oh uh, history uh-huh. so i went and i pulled some things that are from a couple of months before this episode. Okay. And we'll talk about it in references. Okay. If that's okay. I suppose. Okay. Sure. But yeah, as I was watching this episode, I was just thinking like, I'm not guilty of watching a ton of new television, yeah. but I don't know that this is a storyline that would be as relevant today. It is absolutely of its time. It was a very astute observation. Well, thank you. I hope that sounded real. I meant it. <laughs> it didn't, but thank you. <laughs> it's only because I'm exhausted. <laughs> What did what was your general reaction to this episode? It, it's in line with what you're saying. So you you teed me up. Thank you. We're only on the third episode in the 90s, mm-hmm. and we are immediately treated to not one but two environmentally conscious things. Like within the first two minutes, the first oh. a co- like a commentary on cloth diapers, um, and then because in in and Charlene specifically says that you know disposable ones aren't recyclable or biodegradable she also mentions that i don't care i'd rather than put in a landfill because this is toxic um except so she, i'm still doing it so, yeah and then um because that's charlene and then of course the whole fur thing yeah. also has environmental implications in addition to animal protections and rights and that kind of thing so mm-hmm. i just thought like i was like it felt like we had entered a new era i don't remember us all of the progressive things that this show talked about for its time i don't think we had really touched environmental stuff that's i think that's true and so it just felt like we were i was like we have arrived i don't know who we are it just felt (laughs) like (laughs) it's here 90 so i think the cloth diaper thing i just i thought about thinking about it more and then just decided I was going to compartmentalize that because I think because I just recently had kit recently have kids I have small kids I've just recently been through the diapering phase of my life and mm-hmm. let me tell you cloth diapers were not the way we went um I have certainly encountered conversations that have made me feel guilty about not going that route and so I think for me it's a little bit of a triggering oh. conversation Well, let me say something right now that I feel like is relative to this conversation and something I think this episode, did a really good job doing. And that is capturing this idea that 
it, like you do one thing to try and help and you hurt another. Yeah. And so one thing that I remember my grandma telling me years ago, don't recall why we were talking about diapers. I'm sure she was like, can I have some great grandchildren? <laughs> um, was that if you, yes, you can use cloth diapers and that's great. And how, how noble of you on the other hand, have you thought about how much water you have to use? So yeah. I'm just saying like, it's like one thing begets another. It's all a trade off because all of it's unnatural. Right. And I think we've had this conversation before, but it can just, it can be overwhelming. Like you want to be a good person. You want to care. And at the same time, it just feels like no matter what you do, you're getting like a swift kick in the crotch. <laughs> that's, um, that's life. Yeah. <laughs> that's life. Now that's a song. Um, like for instance, just grocery bags, you know, you go and you get the the ones that you can keep or whatever. The reusable ones, Thank yeah. you. Lot. Uh, this is going to be a really interesting several hours <laughs> as you have to tell me words, okay? Uh, and you find out, like, well, you need to use them for 10 to 12 years or those will also wind up in a landfill and then everyone will die. And, I mean, <laughs> you just you just sort of get to this point where you're, I think, like, people should be um, really cautious about the way that they approach and, like, with less judgment because when we come at it with a high amount of judgment, I think people, especially if they're more stubborn in nature, you've just lost somebody like that. So anyways, bringing it back to the episode, I feel like they did a nice job of capturing how complicated that conversation can be. Yeah, I agree. Um, did we finally get some insight into Suzanne's actual financial situation when... She has a $1,300 coat. Julia said she poor mouths to get discounts. So is it possible she's actually not poor for it? and oh, low on funds? Oh, oh. <laughs> is it possible she actually is more financially well off? Because we've had this like whiplash, like is she, isn't she? And maybe, maybe she's not. There are things in the universe, Nikki, that we are not meant to know. We're never to know. I was going to say how the pyramids were made, but we know that. <laughs> I just, I can't have trouble thinking of the things we don't know. Um, As of this morning, I would have said how the dinosaurs died, but I saw a TikTok video where someone explained that to me in three how, minutes or less. How the dinosaurs died. Um, oh, isn't that nice? So TikTok is like three minutes or less, and we're like three hours or more. True. It's like, you can, you can have it all. <laughs> we're an accompaniment. Uh, okay, so here's another general reaction that I had, which was, so I often complain, sorry, complain is maybe strong. I will comment on the fact that we hear but do not see, you know, so we didn't see what happened to Julia. Mm -hmm. But in this case, we get to see what happened to Suzanne. And so I just wanted to say that I just feel like I need to stop and recognize that. Oh, that's nice. Since I do what I would call like light touch complaining. Um, and even though I've also said that like, sometimes it's funnier to hear it versus see it, but mm -hmm. we got to see it this time and just kudos to Pam Nor. something. Yeah. Thank you, Pam. Thank you. Uh, the last general reaction I had was just that this episode was so twisty and turny. And I love the twisty turny episodes usually. So we got like the mix up with the lady from the organization. Um, they thought she was maybe Constance Pine, the nanny. And then we got the mix up with Suzanne and Constance at the end. And I just loved how, uh, I don't know. I'm always, I'm not always the most astute at predicting things. Mm -hmm. I didn't see any of that coming necessarily. So it surprised me. I th it's same. I think it, I don't know, like, um, hmm. It just did a good job covering it, I think. Yeah. And maybe I don't know. Or 
we're doing 18 things while watching. It doesn't matter. Anyways, it got me to, I'm a sucker for that kind of thing. Yeah. Those were actually in my likes. And um, uh, I really, really enjoyed Su- Suzanne slash Delta Burke is an excellent deadpan. Mm-hmm. And when they use her to do that and the way that she talks about the baby is, <laughs> it is just wonderful. This so, is Alicia. Yeah, she's like, I thought her name was Olivia. Oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> I don't know. I just put earplugs in. It's no problem at all. Like just the whole thing is really nice. I also like the fact that I thought it was a little bit of a twist there because I think they could have said for the nanny, like that she just was not going to take the job. Like because right. this woman's nuts. Yeah. And I thought it was a nice twist that she was like, I absolutely they need, need me. Here. Yeah. Yeah. That was very funny. That was really good. I wanted to throw in my last general reaction is sort of like, uh, it really harkens back to the conversation that we've already had. But I think this is a really important part of understanding the complicated nature of some of these more, um, uh, just squishy issues like environmentalism or animal issues, if you will. I do. Did you just come up with that? I did. Okay. I really like that. Issues. Okay. Uh, remember this. <laughs> Nikki, write that down. Uh, <laughs> future Nikki. So n- I'm not entirely sure how to say this, but I like how the show addressed that animal protection can be filled with hypocrisy. Mm-hmm. So we talk about like, we care about Nutria, which that's in my references and have thoughts but we're going to zap a rat in our house without one question asked like they're both rodents by the way I you know I know it's not that black and white but still like I like that the show found a way without beating you over the head this time because the mileage on that varies I think Mm -hmm. but in this time this circumstance I think we're back to the way that like when this show does a good job with that they do a really good job with that And I thought that was happening here. And I have this thought a lot too, which is just really interesting from like a human psychological slash cultural marker, which is this idea that we sort of think about animals in different degrees too, in terms of like, I'm not eating a horse. Not Mm. that there aren't cultures that don't, and I'm not, I don't have an opinion on that. It's not my opinion to have, and it's not my right to weigh in on that. But here in America, we would find that very odd to like chow down on a horse, okay? Like I can't even say it without feeling really weird about it, but at the same, or like a dog, but at the same time, like we're going to, pigs are one of the smartest animals out there and I'm eating bacon for some regularity. So I'm just, I just think it's interesting how that, works and how we make sense of things in our minds fascinating you know who i think would have a good opinion on this the future king charles as a part-time vegan you're gonna say that yes (laughs) Uh, (laughs) i feel like he might have some thoughts for us now i have this on part-time lover in my head now (laughs) oh no Uh you're welcome that's probably gonna come out at some point two things i didn't need (laughs) paired together (laughs) stray observations yeah I have a couple cut lines I wanted to share. Oh, please. Uh, When Suzanne asked Anthony if he thought her fur coat was gross, there were actually some cut lines before he talked about them being Mm. ugly if they were cheap. Um, He also said, well, Suzanne, it's been my experience in life that nothing is gross if it costs enough money. If caviar were cheap, then it would be gross. Just gross Mm -hmm. old poor people sitting around eating disgusting gross fish eggs. The same goes for frog legs, escargot, and truffle snorted out of the ground by pigs. Which I thought was just right. an interesting commentary on the point he was making. I love that. And that thing, it's because it's like a lot about the market, right? And, right. And who, or 
Branding and marketing, if you will. In, ugh, I, uh, influencers. You know what I'm saying? Like, because there's always been influencers, right? I know that's a word that we love to overuse now, but they've always existed just in different forms. And, um, and so, uh, that, that sort of plays into the wealth and the, um, position and all of that as well, I think. So mm-hmm. I thought it was a really good point. There were more cut lines in the conversation between the women about animal rights. So after Suzanne said Mary Jo had the rats snuffed out in her attic, um, I think uh, Mary Jo said, well, it wasn't like I made him into a muff later, but you do have a point. I mean, if you believe that animals have rights, then that should be all animals, not just the cute ones. I mean, it is a little hypocritical. I mean, it's like saying only attractive people have rights. And then Julia, I mean, and then Suzanne said, yeah, well, I believe that too. (laughs) So there's just hypocrisy all the way around. Absolutely. And I appreciated that Mary Jo acknowledged it. Yeah. And maybe in, and this is one of those situations too, where like that acknowledgement might've been helpful to not have been clipped out of the show, but here we are. Correct. Um, so I was, Suzanne's mink coat was $10,000 then. And that means it would be at least $23,000 today. So, I mean, like in addition to like the animal rights, very cost prohibitive. I mean, good Lord. I just can't, I don't know that I've ever been able to figure out when a fur coat is climatically necessary like in russia in the winter maybe oh yeah but like in atlanta in the winter i'm not sure you need a mink coat this is the thing we've talked about right like with suzanne i did like she'll come in in the furs this has been built into the character for a long time it's just now that we're addressing the other side of it you know and i acknowledge that it's, it's not about practicality it's about fashion i acknowledge that yeah but you're but sweating also, and like twenty three thousand dollars, you could spend that on so many so other many things. things yes i mean we still will spend the money don't it's worry it's crazy we'll it's crazy and i know julia talks a little bit about the um fur coat that she inherited from her grandmother so there is some element of like um tradition with it and heritage which yeah. i understand but going and buying a brand new one well and by that point like don't throw it out right Look, right. I mean, the animal's done. been long dead. Well, yeah. Um, in fact, I, uh, I'll talk a little bit about this too, but I was, when we get to references, but I had watched some PETA thing in preparation for the episode. And one of the things they were encouraging at the time was like, don't throw your fur away. Go take it to, um, like not, not um, go take it to Goodwill or someplace where it can be reused by someone. Um, yes, there's lots. I have about 18 thoughts there, but I do think it's, it's, okay. I, well, if someone is somewhere cold, I mean, it might look a little strange, but, and there is definitely a tone deafness. I think I need a little more context to that recommendation. Are they just recommending like Selena fur is bad. Take your fur to goodwill. Let someone else have it. That's right. That's weird. That's weird. Take it up with PETA. (laughs) No, thank you. Uh, I had some logistical questions. How is Suzanne keeping on the fur and Julia is washing her? I just, like, I think I would let that one go at that point. I would be like, you're just going to, if you are going to be so stubborn that you want to keep this jacket on like a little weirdo, then you're going to smell. Gonna, you're going to smell and we're going to keep you upstairs. That's true. Because you're stinky. That's true. And like, it feels like she still has one hand free. Just saying. Yeah. I also was, this was like, did Suzanne have a Julia style rant in this one with Miss Dawes? Like when she just loses it. 
about being in this in Suzanne's this way. Dogs are following her down the street because she smells. There's like added layers of irony there. Um, and so, uh, <laughs> you smell delicious. Yeah, as she's talking to the animal rights person. Um, but uh, I just thought that. It felt Julia, yes, in her tone, but this thing where she just goes on and on and on about something. Just spirals a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. She did. Yeah. I mean, if I had had a pullover, like, mink coat on for seven Any days, amount of time. Any <laughs> amount of time, yeah. Um, I would definitely be moody. The idea of a pullover jacket. So she says, like, early in the episode, this is not in my notes at all, so I'm going totally off memory, but she's like, Mary Jo's like, what is with that jacket? That's weird. And she goes, it's designer. I don't think that's very, I don't think that's a lot of forethought for a designer because that would totally mess a person's hair up. Mm -hmm. And the person likely to be wearing that jacket probably cares a little bit about their hairstyle. She also said it was an after dinner pullover mink. Like, what does that even, <laughs> what, does that, even what does that mean? I actually tried to look it up. I couldn't find anything Oh, because I was like, what is this like? Thing. But, you know, recently I was listening to something where they were talking about how during the Victorian era, like everything became, oh, why have three forks? Why not have right. 12? You right. know, have one just for like uh, thought and care, have one for every single course. Like everything just got more and more like, yes, fancy, but also ornamental and a little Extra. difficult and extra yeah and it feels like maybe this is part and parcel to something like that like well you got to have your dinner jacket you have to dinner jacket your pre-dinner jacket and we do know that people used to change multiple times throughout the day so like sometimes I'm like going a couple of days oh sure. I change a lot throughout the day oh really well From workout clothes to work clothes oh that's true back to comfy clothes and then to my pajamas because it feels weird to be in pajamas before the sun goes down so I need something in between. This is slightly different than the Titanic version of that. <laughs> um, but it's I do hear similar. you. It's still, it's still laundry, is it not? It is. It is that. Laundry. Amen. I have a couple guest stars I wanted to just oh, mention. Uh -huh. So Lois Foraker, who played Annette Dawes, which was the, was the organization PAW? Or was it something it was longer PAW. than that? Okay. People against the abuse of, uh, people against abuse of, and abuse of animals or something i wrote it down the first time as p-a-t-a-a -A -A. Mm. and then the second time they mention it they say it's that paul lady right. and i didn't know if I, I don't remember whatever organization that she's with it's her the pita stand-in you mean right she was in gremlins child play three and the exorcist three which is so funny because she did look very um she looked like just a, a person you would see in a horror movie like i always think of that that kindly old lady in um might have even been the exorcist one and she has that very nice voice and she's a very lovely old lady but every one of those scary movies needs an old lady that in this case that. was lois foraker and then pat crawford brown played constance pine the only reason i'm bringing her up is because she was also in mama's family which is another one of my favorite obscure tv shows she looked really familiar yeah uh that was the only if i recall correctly that was the only thing that was like really sticking out to me in her filmography but it could have been that i'm biased by mama's family as soon as you i just that, saw like, that and everything yep, else i know disappeared. her it all it all just went away got it so that was my last stray 
Okay. Uh, you want to talk about what you liked? Sure. I have a much longer list of things that I liked than things I didn't like. Spoiler alert. Oh, that's good. Um, I really liked how Bill said he would take her, but reminding us that his job is flying fighter jets. I liked the way that they positioned that he, re- he really does have this job where it's a little bit challenging for him to take a baby because of mm-hmm. the tug of like mom being the default parent, which we'll actually talk about incidentally in this week's Extra Sugar. But that tug of mom always being the one that has to make that choice to take care of the kid. And in this case, there was an actual mm-hmm. real logistical reason for it. Sure. The U.S. Navy just really doesn't want them or Air Force or whatever just and really doesn't seemed, want them. It seemed hard. His job? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, but also like it seemed like it was hard for him to leave. Yes. He didn't want to leave. And I really, I've been a little bit down on Bill because sometimes they just make him feel so cheesy. Um, But I really liked that. I also really appreciated Suzanne's arguments about animal rights. Uh, You pointed this out a little while ago. Like she was just on fire with it and she was pointing out the hypocrisy in really spot on ways, which Suzanne, man, you've said before, like we don't really know what we're doing with her character. This is probably the version I like the most where she is simultaneously shallow and very full of depth all at one time. I really appreciate that. <laughs> right. I like she, that. Yeah, they do use her in a really smart way like that to make points that maybe are the hard points to make. I have a couple more likes. Do you you want to? You got all my likes earlier. Oh. So thank you for doing that. Sorry. Don't be sorry. It's done. Check. <laughs> uh, Mary Jo called out Mary Poppins' lack of good nannying. I have heard that since this show was filmed. Like I've heard people say like, she's not that great of a nanny. Uh, But I just appreciated that she said it. It's true. She did a bunch of things that like you would look at and be like, that's kind of crappy. Right. Also that 90s endangerment thing. Like it did feel very like we were entering the era that we're going to sue the pants off of everyone for everything, uh you know, where we actually worry about things. Yeah. And (laughs) And it's not as fun. (laughs) Suzanne sass on the runway, I wanted to mention, where they say 50 living creatures died to make that coat. And she goes, want to make it 51? And then she fell off and said, okay, that's it. I'm mad now. I know. And you could tell that was, they had added it in later on. It felt very, yeah. Very tacked Voiced on. over, yeah. Oh, yeah. But her, but it was so funny, the way she said it. Like, I could let go that you could tell that the audio was... I couldn't tell if they did that because they thought of it later or if they did that for logistical reasons. Like she's hard to mic when she's down on the floor under people. (laughs) I mean, well, you know. The last thing I liked that I wanted to mention was Charlene's conundrum about animal rights based on her childhood in the country. This gets at the squishies you talked about, how these things are just really complicated and you've got to make sacrifices in one place to do something in other place. Sometimes you have to look over a little bit of hypocrisy because it, you know, you're trying to be a better person, but you also know the other side. It's just, it can be challenging. Yeah. It's complicated. Yeah. I also kind of like that whole animal approach. This is coming from someone who, I don't really know. But like, <laughs> I, I mean, I just, I shouldn't be like an expert. I don't hunt. I don't, like, right. it's not like I go pick out my own eggs. I'm just, I do. It's just from the grocery store. <laughs> uh, but what I was, you know, I think my point is, is like, I, I remember even as a kid learning about, um, American Indians and the idea that like every part of that animal was used for a purpose. And that just like, even at like seven or eight years old, that like stuck with me because I thought that was such a great concept. Mm -hmm. And if we're approaching life, that life like that and using things in a way that's meaningful like that Mm -hmm. and thinking about what we're doing, I think we're doing something right. It's the circle of life, man. 
Why did you do that? <laughs> Start singing part-time lover to you. Circle of life. Speaking of things that you don't like, my singing, uh, what did you I have that it. you didn't like in this episode, Selena? This is like a, a real big... It, it, this is like one of those things I just don't always have things that I just straight up don't like. Agreed. I think that's kind of weird. There were times where, and I feel like this way, you know, we're doing a string of episodes today where sometimes like, and I'm going to, I'm just foreshadowing a little bit here where things maybe didn't feel entirely cohesive to me, mm. where maybe things just feel very much so like a play, like too much, like um, now Mrs. Philpot will come in. Now this character will come in now that like where it just doesn't necessarily feel natural. Mm-hmm. Um, but other than that, and that was just like, again, like really nitpicky. It's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, that was the only thing I had. What about you? I had nothing. Nothing. Oh, are we about to get a, a something, something real, something real high in your rating here? Uh, I don't think so. Oh, okay. Now well, I'm nervous. Uh, Won't you? What's your rating for us? Uh, so my rating scale is moral how do you do's. And this was from Suzanne's line. I don't know. I guess they thought I'd get some sudden moral how do you do about fried pork rinds. <laughs> when she was talking about having uh, her pig and still eating pork rinds. Well, I haven't done this in a while. I have no rating scale. Oh, I forgot no. to rate it. How do you feel about moral how do you do's? <laughs> I love it. I'm moral. I'm so glad it happened to you once. It happens to me a lot. <laughs> I told you it's been a week. So four out of five moral how do you do's for me then. I gave it a four out of five also. Okay. I thought it was cute. It was funny. It was a fun watch. I don't have anything bad to say about it. I didn't feel like it was the best of the best or anything, but it was good. I would watch it again. Yeah. I think this is this is a season two where I'm finding that like... I'm liking them more on rewatch than initially. And I wonder if some of that is too, like you and I go through, we do this cursory watch and we're Mm -hmm. just running through them. And then I wonder if things are getting jingle jangled in my head. I I would so much rather have 10, four out of fives than nine, two or three out of fives and one ten. And I've had like a series of like three, 3.75, four. I would so much rather watch a season that's balanced in that way mm-hmm. than maybe some of the previous seasons we've watched where I've had some episodes where I'm just like, oh, I never want to watch that again. And the, this series that we're recording today has been a series of episodes where I'm like, I'd watch that again. Like all the pressure off, not having to like focus on it for the podcast. I would watch it again. Yeah. It, it's a fun watch. It made me laugh. There was lots of things that were said in this episode that made me laugh. So it's a good solid four. Yeah. I'm with you. All that. Yeah. I, have, I have many more likes than dislikes, but it also doesn't meet my criteria of just being like the tops of the tops. And that makes four seem really darn good. Uh, so we've already talked a lot, I think, today about 90s things. But is there anything else that really kind of uh, rose to the top for you? Suzanne said, Mary Jo, you are just so out of it. In Steel Magnolias, which we just recently rewatched, oh, Truvy yeah. said, get with it. Yeah. And then, there, you know, I love the movie Son-in-Law, like, a lot. Mm-hmm. There's a line in there where the girl says, you're just so out of it, Connie. In the 90s, it was something. It's just a lot of, you're out of it. Whatever get with is. it. Whatever yeah. it is was yeah. a 90s thing. Hmm, I like and that. Son-in-Law was, like, a 1993 movie. So it's all sort of in the same wheelhouse. Sure. 
that was my only 90s thing. Okay. Well, I think one thing that I was thinking about as I was going back through and, and, and I looked a lot at too much. It's a real big rabbit hole, y'all. It's some of that anti-fur activism that was happening in this time period. Um, and just like the groundswell of more broadly animal activism mm-hmm. was that like, I sort of forgot and it's probably cause I was a little kid. So it's not something I was really thinking about, but like it was definitely a time period when the news was very interested in covering the more controversial activism. Oh, probably cause that was like juicy, mm-hmm. you know, the old, if it bleeds, it leads. So like they were real, like if someone did something that was maybe a little further than they should have gone, like that's the thing that they wanted to cover. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I was noticing a lot of that. I mean, even it's almost like the media wants to polarize us. It's weird. weird. Um, They were like also like kind of throwing around the term terrorist. And I'm just going to say that as someone like who is living in a post 9-11 world. Terrorism has a very different meaning. Yes. And so like, I, I just, it, like it really like hit me in a weird way to Does it read make, that. Make you think maybe the eighties and nineties were just a much safer feeling time. <laughs> we always think that 20 years later. Um, I also, <laughs> I know you talked about that recently. I also think that like there were instances, I believe where people would like blow things up. So, I mean, that is that they thought were like inappropriate. Like they were doing things that were violent. So Mm -hmm. I don't, I want to be very cautious in what I'm saying here. I'm not saying that some bad things didn't happen. I'm just saying like someone who's like, no fur, no fur. Right. And being called a terrorist. Context. This is weird. Yeah. Yeah. This just feels weird. And then I'm like, oh, this is of a very different era. Hence the nineties. Right. (laughs) What about Southern things? The only Southern thing that I noticed was the reference to Mary Jo's kudzu. And I don't want to be like super botanical necessarily, but just for folks who don't live in the South, I started and then I was like, nobody cares. The bottom line is in the South, kudzu is like, um, it's a weed-like vine that grows very aggressively. And if you drive through a rural area in particular, you will see it draped over the trees. And in my research, I did see that it will not grow past a certain level in the United States, like a certain zone, because it's too Too cold. cold. So the furthest north they've seen it is maybe like in Illinois or something. So it is very much a southern phenomenon. I don't know if you saw this in your research and I'm so I'm pulling this out of the memory bank so dangerous um but I thought at some point I had heard that like maybe it came over after World War II or something. I can't remember the time period. I think it was earlier than that. I think it was the early 1900s. It was the uh what did they call it the World's Fair. It was brought over as like a sample from I think it's an shoot gosh I should have written some things down came from another country you didn't think anybody would be interested I got so many (laughs) questions about kudzu well I'm glad that you mentioned it because I like I think that's something that is so entrenched in our experience I don't Mm -hmm. think of it as a southern thing I just think of it as kudzu yeah that thing that's kind of pretty kind of (laughs) weird it's it's super eerie if you're in a rural area and you see everything covered with kudzu like um, if you're driving down a highway kind of in the mountains, it has like overtaken full on homes and like covered them. There is a, uh, I think it's an urban legend, I believe, but there is a story, a tale that Jimmy Carter, the most Southern of the presidents in the United States, uh, took kudzu as a gift to Japan 
or Korea or something like that. And that is how it got introduced in their country. And it's a very invasive vine. And like I said, maybe an urban legend. I did not do very much research on that. I didn't do any research on that. Mm-hmm. I probably shouldn't have brought it up. But um, I have heard that story so many times over the years. But Well, since we raised the question, mm-hmm. by we, I mean me, it was 1876 okay. when I came here as part of the Philadelphia Centennial Exposition. Okay. Uh, which sounds world fairish. One of those things. And um, uh, and it's native to Japan and Southeast China. Okay. So there's somewhere Jimmy Carter took it that's not Japan and Southeast China, mm-hmm. uh, where the rumor is that he introduced it there. Yeah. Thinking it was... Oopsie poopsie. A nice little taste of our... Well, you got to hate it when that happens. Which is f- hilarious then, really. Mm-hmm. A nice little taste of this thing that wasn't ours to begin with. <laughs> that everybody, and that everybody's trying to get rid of. How would you like a pine tree, too? Because I don't think those are native to Georgia either. I think those also got brought over. It gets confusing when a lot of years pass, you know? And I think you, you've you tapped out my extensive botanical knowledge. <laughs> How about southern things with a bee in your bonnet? Oh, yeah. That struck me as pretty southern. It probably isn't, but it just sounds southern. Pork rinds. Mm. Also hits me as Southern. And then... Do we need to describe pork rinds for anybody who doesn't know what they are? How would you describe them? They're like freeze-dried pork skin. <laughs> I'm trying... I think at one point in time I heard, like, or read how they're made. And so I don't know. I want to talk about that. Yeah. Um, okay. Never mind. They're delicious, It's though. a It's a snack. It's, I love it. It's kind of like, like a chip. Because like Julia a potato chip. is like a snob. And she was like, ugh, pork rinds. And I was like, ugh, they're delicious. I... I do like pork rinds. I think I went through a period in my life where I thought they were like the world's worst thing in the world for your health. And I think they are if you eat them like every day, like anything. Um, but yeah, I think they're delicious. How dare you? They're part of a well-balanced keto diet. I was going to say that. Um, but yeah, I mean, they have, they have understandably a lot of fat in them, but they're delicious. Yeah. And I will only eat them like once a year anyway, but they're good. I like them. I like them as much. I like them as much. The last thing I have in my Southern references is just like the culture of hunting. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I understand that it's not strictly Southern, but it's definitely a part of Southern culture. It's very British, actually. Sure. The British love hunting. Well, Southerns, Brits. I just what I'm saying. That's yeah. why I'm making that point. Yeah. There's a connection gotcha. there. Yeah. Uh, references that we need to talk about? I got none. Oh, well, that that's easy. Okay, well, here's the fur thing. Are you ready for it? Yes, it's going to make me sad. No, 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 I'm not going into that. Okay. Honestly, I'm linking to an article. I didn't want to take it down that much. Like, I feel like to your point that this is a thing that was like a big deal a long time ago, it feels like I'm not saying it's solved and there are still issues in this when it comes to fur. I'm sure. I don't know what they are. It's not like I did a, a full media scan or anything, but like... It's just not something that we hear about all the time. But if you want to know what happens to animals, that is a very easy findable thing. And I just, we're a podcast about designing women. I just, (laughs) I'm just trying to like, we're just trying to have a Saturday. I I made it. I'm not saying it's not important. I made it to the Nutria Wikipedia page and I was like, I can't. I just, I know this is going to be sad. (laughs) It's just going to make me sad. Sure. So I don't, I'm not really going down that path. But for those who want to look at it, and I did because I felt like, it was something I need to know, and it is very sad. You can have all of it that you want in the show notes. So, okay, here's the thing. Suzanne's last fur jacket was made of Nutria. I So, and this is all kind of fur references that were made, and so I just did a little, like, mini deep dive on all of them, a shallow dive. The, the way they're caught in the wild as well as farmed is a point of contention in the show, okay? And that's the thing that if you want to see more on that, 
we got it for you. But I didn't know what they were. Did you know what they were? Mm-mm. Okay. So yeah. I was in my head picturing like a sugar glider. You know what that oh, is? Oh. Uh-huh. You know how cute those are? And yeah. so I was like, oh, and this is like. I was imagining a rat. I'm tapping into that hypocrisy right now because then I looked. Did you look them up? Mm-hmm. Okay. So I looked them up and I was like, oh. and I'm not saying like, go. Like, go kill all kill the Yeah. I'm just <laughs> they're saying. They're not cute. And I looked them up and I was like, oh God. So they're actually known as rodents of unusual size. So basically that creature in the swamp of Princess Bride. Seriously. Do you remember that? Do you remember that scary thing with the red eyes? Okay. But in this case, like that is obviously like done to like a mythical proportion size. But let's be very clear. Nutria top out at about 20 pounds. That is a medium sized dog. But it's a rodent. It's bigger than Jackson, just so you know. I know. And that's what I'm saying. I like, thought it was, it looks like a groundhog to me. They, I, I, or a chupa, chupacabra. Like, I think it looks like one of those two. I hope I said that right. You did, uh, but that's like, in my world, a, kind of is a. Is a monster? I think, I yeah. thought they were like in the rivers of the Amazon or something. I get, it's a rodent, y'all. It's a rodent. They're all, it, beavers, beavers, groundhogs. It also looks they, like a beaver. They all look very similar. Um, although the Nutria babies are cute. So anyways, they were brought here in the 1800s as part of the fur trade. I'm getting to a point, I swear. And I don't want to say it ironically, but I ran across a, a Wall Street Journal article that literally published this week about how they're wreaking havoc in American wetlands. And apparently all these states are trying to get rid of them. And I mean rid of them they're killing them mm-hmm. because like, like we do with deer controlling yeah the population so it's just fu- it's funny with hearing this conversation in this episode butted up against this thing where they're like well we found a way to kill them all it's almost <laughs> like, like context matters and that things change over time nothing is static I want to say, too, that Suzanne really knew what a nutria was because she mentions them being in a swamp, and they are definitely swamp creatures. So They look like look swamp, swamp creatures. Yeah, she knew what was going on, or Pam Norris did. She's with it. <laughs> so another reference that gets made is Charlene says that fake furs are made from petroleum products and they're not biodegradable. Just confirming that's true. I didn't know. I was like, I also I don't need a real fur or a fake fur. I don't know. It's not me. It could take hundreds of thousands, hundreds of thousands. Hundreds or thousands of years to break down. That's a long time. That is a long time. That's a long time. All right. Then I couldn't help but wonder much back to the top of the episode. Is there something you're going to say? I I was just processing what you said way earlier in the episode, which is robbing Peter to pay Paul. Basically how you try to do, make one good choice with a fake fur and really you're just messing something else up. It's a no-win situation. It does feel like a no-win situation, which is a little disheartening, I think. And I think it, it gives people like environmentalism fatigue mm-hmm. um i don't know there's a lot of fatigue we just get tired i'm tired man <laughs> I'm, I'm just so tired oh tired so much as i said i was going to come back to this point of like but why was pam norris interested why was lbt whoever and so what i wound up finding was that less than two months before this premiered on black friday 1989 animal activists led a coordinated nationwide protest around the u.s called furless friday this was maybe the third annual event. Apparently, as I was like digging into the articles, uh, you you know, I mean, people go out and they're like trying to hit the sales and stuff. So that was a big day to buy fur. This just feels so foreign now. You know what I'm saying? Like, what? oh, it's the big fur buying day. <laughs> so, in fact, the headline of the Chicago Tribune article I found is the fur flies. 
now there's more to it, but that's the name of the episode. So uh-huh. it's hard to like, it's, the actual headline is Fur Flies, a 600 po- protest on Michigan Avenue. And so it was hard to not see that and not think exactly about this episode. Right. So at that time, 600 people marched on the Magnificent Mile in Chicago. In New York, Bob Barker, you know, like Price is Right, Bob Barker, uh-huh. he led 2,500 activists down Fifth Avenue. Belinda Carlisle also got in on the action, and she led a group of 150 in Beverly Hills. And then there were also demonstrations in San Francisco, Miami, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, Corpus Christi, Texas, Durham, North Carolina, Syracuse, New York, New Orleans, Seattle, and other cities. So I thought this was crazy. All the cities. Huh? All the cities. All the cities. Bob Barker and Belinda Carlisle is the duo I never knew I needed. I wish they were together. That would be wonderful. So so lots of celebrities around this time, too. I'm talking separate from this event. Because this isn't the first one. I guess this is, like, maybe the second or third one. I feel like what I'm reading in the context of this is, like, it started off small. And by this time, by 89, 90, there's been, like, a real groundswell. So, anyways... Separate from this, just celebrities are getting involved in the anti-fur movement around this time. Princess Di, huge name to be involved. Brooke Shields, Candace Bergen. Bergen, I always mess up her name. Murphy. I've always said Bergen. Murphy Brown. Okay. Uh, Christy Brinkley, Zsa Zsa Gabor, and three out of the four Golden Girls. Zsa Zsa Gabor was anti-fur? It's interesting, isn't it? It is interesting. Because you... A darling. It's like you picture her. understand Jaja better. Picture her dripping in diamonds and yeah. her uh, Something about her aura. Her vibe. Well, who's the sister? Maybe the sister was the one in first. Ava. Thank you. One of the Gabal. Look at you. Um, and then, I didn't know you were such a Gabal fan. <laughs> and then, uh, so the Golden Girls, three of them. They made a commercial asking people to avoid wearing fur. Which now, ones? We, well, Betty White. And I forget what other two were involved. We're going to, I have the link. I need I to know which it. one was not involved. Like, what an, what is, uh, it must be a very big statement to be like, nope, not going to be involved in that one. I don't, you know, that's really interesting. Uh, so it's all but, oh my gosh, you're going to kill me. I'm sorry. It's all but the mom. Oh, okay. Yeah, she's the only one involved. Getting... Thank you. Uh, everybody else is. We will also link to that so that. But Nikki will, because she's amazing. Um, I just pulled the link. It's part, It's part, I did something. Anyways, so that people can see it. It's a really short ad. I think that's also where I ran into the thing about, like, don't just throw your furs in the trash because they go into a landfill. At least give them to someone who is cold and needs to be warm. Or just likes fur. Or just likes fur. <laughs> so... <laughs> I got, like I said, I got a lot of different articles. So if people want to dig in and they want to know what was going on with fur that time, it's just a really long, windy path. That's what I'll say. I was like, it was like 11 o'clock last night. I was like, I can't anymore. I was like, I like look up, my eyes are all red. I'm like, the world is, it's a dangerous place. It was. They charted the path for us. Now we don't even talk about fur. Yeah. Except that like once a year article that some like, out of it celebrity still wearing fur one of the articles i swear like i only got like a fourth of the way through it and there were still like 70 more pages i was like i can't good lord so how much is you know what dolly parton says she just make your point and move on that's right and speaking of making our points and moving on i'm done with the references i hope that was helpful in terms of understanding what was going on with anti-fur <laughs> well now now we know so our next episode is season four episode 17, 
Oh, what a feeling. <laughs> Oopsie. <laughs> it's just getting it's dicey charge. with the, the numbering. Uh, we'd love everyone to follow along with us and engage. Instagram and Facebook at Sweet Tea and TV. TikTok at Sweet Tea TV Pod. Our email address is sweetteatvpod at gmail.com. And our website is www.sweetteatv.com. You can still find us on YouTube, too, like we've talked about recently. There are several ways to support the show. You can tell your family and friends about us, rate and or review the podcast wherever you listen. We also have some additional ways available from the uh, website, from our Support Us page on ways you can support us. (laughs) And come back Thursday for Extra Sugar, where we're going to talk about working parents. We're going to get the working parents version of a working parents extra share. <laughs> dun, dun, <laughs> so I think that's it, Selena. Well, you know what that means. What does it mean, Selena? It means we'll see you around the bend. <laughs>